Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash better than the movie. Over 150 titles to choose from for your Android, iPhone, Kindle, or MP3 player. Once again, that's www.audibletrial.com slash better than the movie. Hello and welcome to Better Than the Movie. I'm Jeanette. She is Tamika and we are here talking books. How are you today, my friend? I am doing well. Uh, I'm getting ready for fall. I don't know what that, there's no real like process of me getting ready for fall, but you know, mentally I just kind of shut down. <laughs> and you know, all of my thoughts throughout the day are focused on going home and getting under some blankets. So... <laughs> Amen. I can relate, definitely. Least productive time of year for me. How are you? I am doing well. You know how a couple shows ago you said that you felt like this was like a sewing season? Yes. Yeah, I'm I'm feeling that now. Yeah. Like I was I was on the cusp of it before when you talked about it initially, but now I'm like in the throes of it. I'm like, yes. Yeah. She was correct. It's it's the time to do things. Yes, so I'm doing all of the things. Right on. Um, I know we won't cover this later, so I'm going to go ahead and ask you now, because I know that the the, the wheels, the fires are burning, um, the wheels are starting to turn in people's heads, um, because Nano Writing Month is right around the corner, so we're going to go ahead and get this out of the way now. Are you participating in uh, Nano Writing Month? Are you getting geared up? I am not. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's always a good idea. Like I was ranting about it a little bit earlier that I always go in with so much steam and gusto for like the first two weeks and then it sort of peters out. Right. Um, so I'm just not going to play myself this year, but mm-hmm. I am working on something that I'm hoping to have completed by the end of November. So Right. I just wanted to go ahead and tell the people in case I know that we have talked about our own writing and then I see people starting to get you know, in that mindset and, you know, they're prepping for Nano Writing Month and are just saying that we are not doing it. So <laughs> that's why you won't hear us talk about it on the show. Um, yep. Look at me, housekeeping. Check you out. Let's talk about where the folk can find us. If you are on the internet and you are looking for us, <laughs> I'm assuming you found us on iTunes or Stitchers. Stitchers. Why do I say that every episode? <laughs> at Tinder Stitcher, but you can also find us at Better Than TM on your Twitter um, account. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook.com slash Better Than The Movie, or um, episodes of the show are always kept and archived at Better Than The Movie.com. I know we always, it looks like when you go to the site, we just have um, episodes of the show, but if you look in the show notes, there are links and lots of cool goodies. Um, things that we talk about here on the show. I think I haven't been there in the while. Is that accurate? Yes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. accurate. Sure, 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 sure. If you'd like to call us and leave a message um, to tell us a thought, to ask a question, anything like that, please um, give us a call on our Google Voice number at 210-816-2886. And if you like what you hear weekly please do not hesitate to give us a five-star review on itunes stitcher or whatever other podcast applications you may be using because this helps us so very much 
much. Y'all don't even know, but we will tell you later. News you can use. All right. So all of these are like super random, but just um, a couple of cool things that I saw on the internet that I figured we could discuss briefly. So this first thing that I saw um, was this website called Recovering the Classics. And essentially this group of people came together and decided to um, solicit graphic artists and other people who are so inclined to re to redesign covers of books um, of classics like Huck Finn, Tale of Two Cities, Sherlock Holmes, and things of that nature. Um, I'll put a link to it in the show notes as usual. Um, But I just thought it was really cool to see some of the reimaginings of some of these um, classic book covers. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of them, um, some, you know, are like text heavy and rely on that as a means of like portraying what the book is about where others are image heavy and kind of rely on either graphic or pictorial usage of whatever to kind of give you a preview into what the book is about. Mm -hmm. Um, And I bring this up because I'm wondering, because I had a conversation the other day with somebody about book covers and how alternate covers can get me to buy multiple copies of a book. Right. Yeah. Because um, I feel like the UK be getting some dope covers. Yes, all the time. Especially when it's books like when it's books written by black people, like the UK cover is almost always doper. Yes, always. I see them. I remember. Um, oh hell, whose website was it? I think Rainbow Row, and seeing some of the damn um, UK covers compared to the US covers were. We get the trash, trash shit into the stick on the book covers because we do. Like I just remember, like our Americana cover was so whack with the little brown paper bag, like background or whatever. And I feel like the UK one had like a girl on it was more vibrant and all this, you know. But um, you know, they say you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. But that's a lie. I do it all the time. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I'll put the link to the recovering the classics thing. Um, in the show notes for you guys to check out. Neat. Oh. Um, and last thing that we have in a new section, I just want to highlight um, this Instagram challenge that I saw um, via Zora Tony Maya on okay. the Twitters. Um, I thought it was cool. It's called the We Are Booked uh, Instagram Photo Challenge. And basically, um, it's a photo day thing. So if, you, uh, if you're heavy on Instagram, you'll see people do these like photo a day every month things or whatever. Um, And this challenge is hosted by um, MZM40 and at Sodre Writes. And every day it's just a different theme. So like, what's today, the fifth? Mm -hmm. So today's um, book you take a picture of is favorite nonfiction book. And they have like best dialogue in a book, book that changed your life, favorite book series, overrated book, underrated book. Um, like I said, it's just a daily book thing or whatever. I've already failed at it. Um, I was going strong for day one and day two, and then the weekend came. So, <laughs> right. So I, yeah, I am um, really bad at these, but this is a really cool idea. I like if anybody has like an Instagram where they highlight books and things like that. I only follow one that really does because I've always. I guess to me, like my old brain is like, how are you going to talk about books on a picture site? (laughs) (laughs) But if anybody knows of any 
uh, Instagram accounts that do books and literature reading really well, um, shoot me a tweet. And if you want to check out this challenge, um, just search We Are Booked Photo Challenge on Instagram, the hashtag, and you'll see the prompt and everybody's photos who have been participating so far. How much fun. So as we alluded to in a previous episode, we um, are going to have you guys come in as special guests and recommend books for us to read. And so our inaugural guest is Val, whose Twitter name I just forgot right now. <laughs> that's okay. Vivaciously underscore Val. Yes, that's what it is, because you know things. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my brain just like completely lost it. How are you doing today, Val? <laughs> I'm doing well. Um, I'm just really happy to be here. You guys know I stand hard for this show, so. Yay! So I'm just <laughs> real happy to be here and share my 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 top five with y'all. So. Yay! I am very excited because. I am looking for books because I've been really bored <laughs> with books lately. And so I will just be over here in the cut adding things to my Goodreads. <laughs> I'm super excited. Well, I'm obsessed with books. So when you guys were like five, I, I was really like, uh, they joking, right? Like I can't just pick five. So I, I really did take um, Saturday afternoon where I just like sifted through my bookshelves mm-hmm. and I'm, I honestly made like a good 20 list before I was like, okay, this is, this is the go-to list. And, but I know I'm good. I know as soon as I'm done with this, I'm going to regret <laughs> not adding a book. Do you think so. that you could send us your list and maybe we could post it for others? Oh, oh absolutely. Okay. That would be really cool. Cause people, like really do get a lot of really good book recommendations from the show, whether we say it or we talk about some stuff we know that's coming up. And so even though we only have time to do five, if you want to send the other ones over, um, I can post them to the site. I think I won't break it. (laughs) (laughs) Or put them in the show notes or something like that. No, I will definitely send you um, my top ten. And actually, one of the books I have, if it's okay with you, I would love to send to one of your your listeners. Hey! hey. Um, you come bearing gifts. You already um, a favorite guest. <laughs> <laughs> no, because it's just it's just probably one of the darkest and best books I've ever read. It's one of those books that really stays with you long after the fact, and you just always want to unpack. So uh, I think that would be a nice winter book to give to someone. Oh wow! Okay, I'm ready to get to. Let's get to it. Yeah, let's get to it. All right. Okay, so the book itself is called In the Fall by Jeffrey Lent. Um, I read this book probably three years ago, and it just scared the bejesus out of me. I, I love history, so every single book that's on my list deals with history in some way. And uh, it takes place in Vermont, and Vermont is actually one of my favorite places in the world because it's just a very quiet wilderness you know, especially when you go during like the, uh, the the spring or the summer, it's just a very beautiful place. And the book is about this young man 
who lives in Vermont uh, on a small farm, a white young man, and he decides to fight in the Civil War. And he gets wounded in battle, and a runaway slave finds oh. him. And uh, he just falls in love with her right there because she has saved his life. And he just feels so indebted to her. So she's running from something very, very tragic. And he takes her to Vermont with him. And, you know, you're thinking as you're reading the book, you know, especially as stupid Northerners, we're like, well, okay, they're about to run up north and she's going to be all right. And they're going to live happily ever after. And it does not happen because he takes her to this Vermont town and she's the only black person. Mm. Ooh. And during their marriage, she has fertility issues. Like, she cannot get pregnant. Mm. So not only is she the only black person, but she cannot give birth to her image. So there really is not anyone who looks like her. And she later does have um, three kids. And I, I think there's a scene that's so fascinating to me that She's walking through town with her kids. By that time, people have got grown used to her mm -hmm. and her kids, but there's still others, you know. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's still a white town, so it's still racist as hell. Mm -hmm. And one of the freaks in the carnival is a black man. And she probably has the most profound conversation she's probably had in 20 years with this freak at a carnival. Wow. And you're just like, you really feel for her, and um, I could tell you what she's running away from, but I can't tell you what happens towards the end. She's running away from the fact that uh, I believe uh, her half-brother, who was white, who was her master, tried to rape her after mm -hmm. he came back suffering um, from stress disorder from the Civil War, fighting for the South. He tries to rape her in the kitchen, and she attacks him, and in the attack, she believes she's killed him. And she's left her family behind. So her biggest fear while she's with this man and she's giving birth to his babies and, you know, all these things is that her mother and her uncles and her family have probably paid for her sin in the worst way. Oh, my gosh. That so like... so it's, it's like this thing that's in the back of her head. And, um, and it's, it's just a multi-generational saga. So uh, you learn about her kids. She has two daughters and a son, but you really get to learn about the son because he passes for a white, mm -hmm. and he uh, he becomes a bootlegger of sorts. So he's, like, really into a life of crime, and he takes up with this white woman, and their life is just one crazy adventure. And what's so fascinating to me about the book is that you really don't ever read about that time period in the North when it comes to people of color. You know, like, if you read a good book dealing with slavery, mm. it's usually from the perspective of the South. Mm -hmm. We never think of the black women who probably did move up north, probably did have biracial children, and just the the trauma of that for themselves. Like, you ain't no, <laughs> nobody here is black. Like, you're right. the only black person. And the stigma that carries on to the next generation, next generation. Right. So I think Jeffrey Lent did an awesome, awesome job with that, especially as a white man, because it's really hard to find white people who can actually write about black people well. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've been discussing that in group. Yeah, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. that you know that's actually why I picked the book because I know you guys have been discussing that, and it's. I mean, I I think there are a few problematic moments mm-hmm. um, in the book, especially when you get to meet her son, and um, you know him being picked on by his cousins because he's half black, and him choosing to pass for white. It it really does make you uncomfortable, but you know. Even in fiction, there's truth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I had to do a lot of unpacking about some of the things I believed when I first picked up this book. So that's number five. And I will gift. Uh, you guys that, can figure it out. You can gift that to me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I win. I'm going to read it, you know, just to make sure that it really is as good as she's saying. You know what? You, you should. You guys actually should read it first. <laughs> And if I'm wrong about anything, please take my ass to task. No, <laughs> no. I doubt that we will have to do that. <laughs> I'm excited. That's like the first book I've heard in a long time that actually sounds like something I want to read. So, <laughs> so I mean, yeah, it, it's really, it's, um, you know what book reminds me of? It kind of reminds me of An Untamed State by Roxane okay. Gay, mm, okay. where sometimes it just gets so uncomfortable. You're like, man, I really don't want to finish this. <laughs> mm. <laughs> like, you just kind of pull out your holy water. You're just like, do I even want to go back into this world? Um, okay. But you do, and it's amazing. So that's number five. Okay. Um, number four is Fall on Your Knees by Anne-Marie McDonald. Um, this is another book that I probably read it once a year. Oh, wow. Okay. Because um, it's, I don't know if you guys ever read uh, The Wind on Gone by Alice Randall. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like every year I'll read that and I'll find something new that didn't catch my eye. And mm-hmm. Fall on Your Knees does that for me on a whole deeper level. Okay. Um, like in the fall, it takes place in the north. It actually takes place like in, um, I think, Nova Scotia. Mm, okay. And uh, it's so fascinating the way it starts off. It's a multi generational saga, also uh, multiracial. Um, what's fascinating about this one is it has Arabs in it. Oh wow! Okay. So it has Arabs, and later on they bring in a a black family that adds its own dynamic to it. Um, what's fascinating about Fall on Your Knees is that it deals with all these very insane themes. Like, incest is a huge theme in the book. Mm, okay. And I always tell people, like, you know, not to sound like a like a Twitter activist, but, you know, hashtag trigger warning. <laughs> 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 because there's rape, there's molestation, there's incest, um, uh, there's uh, homophobic acts. So it's one of those books that you kind of have to tread softly with. And what's fascinating with it is that it begins with a very angry white boy. He's like mm-hmm. 18 plus. Um, I mean, a typical white man. What white man isn't angry and thinks the world hates him? Mm-hmm. And he, um, he's a piano instructor, a piano tuner. Um, this is like, I think, I would say late 19th century, early 20th century. He... Um, Moves, he leaves his family, he moves from home, and this uh, very wealthy Arab family is like, you know, we have a piano and our daughters play, would you mind coming to tune it and, you know, all these things, do your job, basically. He falls in love with one of the daughters, 
And you're like, oh, okay. And then you realize, holy shit, this girl's 13 years old. Oh, wow. Oh. <laughs> and he runs off and he marries her when she's 13. Wow. Mm. And her family is like, uh, her family are, her family's Christians. Her family's like, but they still have, um, you know, Middle Eastern beliefs. So they're like, you know what? She is dead to us. We do not know her. That's it. Like, we, and this is a very small town, by the way. So you're talking about you're deading somebody who you're probably going to see on Main Street tomorrow. Mm. And he impregnates her, like, immediately. And this Jewish woman is, like, sitting on the dock of, uh, on the rocks by the water. And she sees a, a, a small child. And the child turns around and she has this huge belly. And she's like, what the hell? And it's, it's, it's the wife. And he falls, he falls out of love with the wife very fast. She's 13. She's a child. She grew up right. very privileged and rich. She doesn't know how to cook. She knows nothing about sex. Um, and he grows very violent and abusive towards her. But the child, the daughter that she gives birth to, he becomes really obsessed with. And the mother is kind of, she's so young, she does not know how to protect her daughter and how to separate the feelings her husband has for their child in order oh. to protect the, the daughter. Oh. And she's a child herself. Oh, my. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and when, the, when the father realizes he's having, you know, these uh, feelings for mm. the daughter, he enlists in the war and he goes to fight. And they have two other kids because in, at one particular moment in the book, the mom kind of snaps out of her depression mm. and she seduces him in a way to kind of distance him from the daughter. And she gets pregnant and she has these two daughters who are like night and day. One is like holier than thou, I want to be a nun. And the other one is like this wild child that you just are like, Jesus, like this girl needs to be on Maury and <laughs> get her life together. And, um, and of course, I'm not going to give it away, but the daughter runs to New York because um, she can sing. She's an opera singer. And when the father realizes that his sexual feelings for her are so strong, he sends her away to a distant aunt in New York um, during Harlem's high point, and she takes up with a black musician. Wow. And these are kids who are raised as white, by the way. So their Arab ancestry is something that their mother passes on to them in secret. Mm. They're raised as white because the father believes that, you know, white is right, and that is what I am, so therefore this is what my kids are. Mm. And the book really picks up when the father gets an anonymous letter saying your daughter is fucking niggers in New York. Wow. Wow. So that is uh, Fall on Your Knees. Um, wow, you bought us some nice big <laughs> some juicy ones. And it's just it's, it's, it's really one of my favorite books. I, I think Oprah once picked it for her book club. And I remember a lot of people were just like, I don't want to read this. But it's so good, though. Like, you you cannot put it down once you pick it up. It's really good. And um, I haven't read anything else by Anne-Marie McDonald uh, because I – it's like, you know, when you read Cane River by Lolita Tatamy, and then you're just – it's like it's an amazing piece of work, and then you read Red River, and you're like, 
is this the same person who wrote Cane River? Because this book sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I didn't I, I didn't want to lose that uh, respect for McDonald's, so I have not read anything else by her, but I do believe this is probably her life's work and her best work. So that is number four. <laughs> Added to my Goodreads. <laughs> what else do you got? This is a good um, thing. <laughs> number three. Uh, when people ask me who my favorite female black author is, it is probably without a doubt Marie Kondé, who is this. Uh, um, she's from the uh, the French Creole Islands in the Caribbean, and when people talk about like a badass black woman, that's who I think of. Cause okay. she just is just. I remember when I first read something by her, I was like, yo, she is angry. And it's not that she was angry. It's the fact that she's just a real, she's lived. She's lived. And and she's just really dedicated to telling the stories of black women. And I think what's so amazing is um, I've read all these books by her, but she only recently uh, really let readers into her own personal life. She was in Paris, I believe, in the 50s, and she got pregnant by this actual, actually by this very well-known Haitian activist who was later assassinated in the 90s. Um, he got her pregnant and moved to, back to Haiti and was like, well, I'm going to go fight oh, wow. <laughs> a dictatorship. And um, he's a very light-skinned uh, mulatto from a very wealthy family, and she, she comes from a very well-to-do family also, but she's dark-skinned. And she really carried the idea that it was her dark skin that made her undesirable to him to be like, well, you know, you're pregnant, so I'm going to take you back home with me. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, it's it's one of those books I'm happy she finally wrote, but uh, um, I wish she would have written it earlier because then it would piece a lot for people like me who are obsessed with her work. But that is not the book I picked for number uh, three. The book I picked is uh, I Tituba, Black Witch of Salem. Oh, okay. okay. Which she wrote. And uh, what's so interesting is I first read that book when I was in junior high in English. And like any precocious child, I enjoyed it, but I had no idea what the hell I read. Right on. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, when, I, when I decided to take French seriously in college... Uh, the one of the books that our uh, French professor picked for us was I Tichiba in French. And the book, from the first page, she completely grabs your attention. Um, what's so interesting about the Salem Witch Trials is, like, we have The Crucible, right, written by Arthur Miller. Mm-hmm. And it's like Daniel Day-Lewis once said in an interview, he's like, he created this these mad, bad girls who are just laying siege in a town. And Tichuba, who really is the cornerstone of what happened, she gets regulated to a very small corner in the story. And so in the dedication in the book, Marise talks and says, you know, this is a conversation Tichuba and I had where she told me her, her secrets. And immediately you know, like, okay, I am onto something good. And the first sentence in both the English and the French um, books is, my mother was raped on a slave ship, headed to Barbados, 
called Christ the King. Like, she immediately gets into it. She doesn't fluff with uh, uh, descriptions about what the slave ship looked like and what it smelled like. No. Mm -hmm. My mother was raped by a white sailor, and she was later, later paired with uh, another African slave when she got to Barbados. Mm -hmm. And my mother did not love me because when she looked at me, she saw the, the rapist. And mm -hmm. my stepfather loved me and my mom for the both of us and it's just amazing and, and it's, it's a very sad book I mean her mom later gets killed well very early on um, her mom gets killed because her slave owner tries to rape her in front of Tituba mm. and um, her, fa her stepfather gets uh, killed no her stepfather commits suicide um, I can give these away because they're like the first chapter Okay. And <laughs> because everything doesn't pick up until she meets this uh, native black slave called John Indian. Mm -hmm. And I feel John Indian is like every ain't shit nigga you probably. <laughs> 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 because Tituba is, she's run off the plantation after her parents are killed. And this healer woman, Mayaya, takes her in and raises her as her daughter. And Mayaya is you know, she's basically like a, a, spiritual, a spiritualist. So she teaches Tichuba everything she knows. She teaches her how to communicate with the dead so she's never alone and all these things. And it's like, Tichuba, you're free. Like, you are living as a free woman. And here come John Indian's, no, you know, ain't shit self. Like, girl, I got a house. I say, nigga, how you got a house? He was slave. <laughs> <laughs> But she loves him so much and she just wants to be loved and she's alone and she follows John Indian into slavery and that is how she ends up in Salem and what I love about the book is that her life is her life story it, it's the cornerstone is not in Salem because she lives after the Salem witch trial the Salem witch trials for her is like I think two like two chapters in the book and she lives a very free life and it's um, it's such a feminist text when you when you hear the things that her mother says and you hear the things that Mayaya says like when she goes to uh, when she meets John Indian Mayaya has already passed on but she's able to talk to her in the afterlife and she tells Mayaya you know tell me what to do to get this man to love me mm. and Mayaya is like men don't love they possess Ooh. And you're like, oh my god, and it's it, and it's amazing how the dynamics of her relationship with her mother changed from when she was a child, and her stepfather had to tell her mom, hold the baby, kiss the baby, love the baby, like it's your kid, mm -hmm. <laughs> to how her mother is just like this powerful force from the other side, who kind of becomes her spine mm. in certain ways, and. I mean, hats off to Mali's Conde. She's written, you know, another honorable mention of a book is Victoire, where she talks, she kind of gives a fictionalized um, Alex Haley-ish account of her her family stories. But I think anyone who picks up I Tichuba, like, that is something, if you consider yourself a womanist or a feminist or a humanist or what have you, if you love and believe in black women, like this is a text to have in your home. And 
the the version I have of the book um, in French. Like it's missing the front cover. I have words written in the margins and <laughs> and honestly, if my house were to you know God forbid catch fire, it is one of the few books that I would snatch along yeah, with immediately. My <laughs> like yeah, right with my birth certificate <laughs> and everything, and um, it's not it's not the kind of writing you come across every day. And it's actually one of those books I I always say like I wish everyone in the world knew how to read French mm. because the French version because you know it's her native tongue. Yep. She she just goes hard like she's just like she basically tells you the story of what it means to be a black woman through mm. Tituba. Mm. Um, I might have to push this up on the TV <laughs> like for real like I'm super I'm super interested in this basically um, everything that I've been reading recently has just been okay mm-hmm. and I feel like I haven't had anything to really like just gut punch me oh these books oh. will definitely um, okay they will mm-hmm. hit you hard See, so that's, that's why you had to be the first one too <laughs> girl I know right <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, like a true black woman, I'm going to go from the story of a black woman to a black man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, this book, I received, oh God, I think maybe two, three years ago as a birthday gift from one, from a, from a guy friend who I, I love dearly and he's just really like one of my brothers and I love him and we went to Barnes and Noble, and he was like, "It's your birthday. Pick out whatever book you want." <laughs> <laughs> and um, when I saw this book, I was like, "Yo, you gotta get me this. I don't care if it's a hundred dollars. You gonna get me this book? It's not a hundred dollars, um, but it has changed my life. As to how I see myself as a Haitian woman, as to how I see Haitian men, as to how I see the story of Black people in the diaspora." Everyone knows the story of the Count of Monte Cristo, and it's Alex Dumas Jr.'s, you know, best work. I I have a guy friend who every once in a while, like, he and I will talk about which books we're reading. Mm-hmm. He'll always go back to the Count of Monte Cristo, because he'll always be like, yo, that's the... I mean, he's a real hood dude, but he'll be like, yo, that's the best book I've read in my life, yo. Like, yo, that book goes in, and the movie goes in, and, and I'm like, yeah, it does, but okay, whatever. And uh, the book is called The Black Count, Glory, Revolution, Betrayal, and The Real Count of Monte Cristo by Tom. I'm guessing the way to pronounce his last name is Reese. R-E-I-S-S. This is a book I purchase for every black man in my life when their birthdays or Christmas comes. Like my brother's about to turn 18 this month and I'm about to buy him this book. My, I had an ex-boyfriend, I bought him this book for his birthday. It, it's the story of Alex Dumas Sr. And he um, was born to a slave woman and a white master in Haiti. And he, uh, right before, uh, I would say during the time the French Revolution was about to start picking up, like the seeds were slowly being planted, his father is like, well, I don't want to live on this island anymore. I'm going to go back to France. So he picks up his slave child and the mother, and he is going to France. And 
on, on during the journey, he solves the mother and he keeps the son. Whoa. And he takes the son with him to France. And uh, that that one that for one blew my mind. <laughs> like, and you that's when you start thinking about the trauma. Like this is this child who has been separated from his mother because his father has sold his mother but has kept him and says I'm going to take you to France where you will live free. Um, so Dumas gets to France and he is living the life at first. He's friends with the Chevalier de Saint-Georges, um, another great character in black history to look up. And you know, they just having a ball. <laughs> You know, it is France, in, I, I believe in the 17th, 18th century, um, the heyday of Marie-Antoinette and King Louis, and the parties at Versailles, and his father is going broke, and his dad is like, I can't support your habit anymore, so I'm cutting you off. And Alex joins the French military, and that's where his story kicks off. And he, um, I believe in the book, they said nobody beat his rank, no black person beat his rank until Colin Powell. Oh, wow. Like, and he was just a man of superhuman strength. Uh, they talk about um, expeditions he would go on where the Austrians and the Germans would be like, there's a black devil riding a horse. And do not cross paths with him because he would lift horses up you know, on his own, and he was just an insane body of man, like just a mili like just a military genius. Mm -hmm. So of course, the French Revolution happens, and the Haitian Revolution happens, and the book does great justice to both and how they, you know, tie into each other. And then Napoleon comes into power, and at first, Napoleon loves Dumas because this man is winning battles for him. But then Dumas's star gets so bright, Napoleon's like, now nah, we got to take him out. And that's where the demise of Dumas happens. And what's so amazing is, as you read the book, and as uh, Reese lets you know, the author, The Count of Monte Cristo is now a tale of a son avenging his father and the wrong that was done to his father because of the color of his skin by the state. And so it gives this new historical perspective to the Count of Monte Cristo that most people don't know. And it's just such an amazing piece of historical work and the author did an amazing job. Like he went to France and he just dug up all these documents and it's also a love story because Dumas fell in love with this white woman in, in France and there was there's a time in the book where he's imprisoned for I think a, a good number of years. You know this is not the age of Facebook. Like your man goes missing, you about to go on his Facebook page and see what his last activity is. And she is writing to everyone. She is writing to Napoleon. She is writing to the Empress. She is writing to everyone. Where is my husband? Um, so it's just an amazing, an amazing piece of work. I I haven't read it probably in a year and a half, and I'm probably gonna pick it back up again. Um, but it's just one of those stories, these black history stories that really needs to be pushed to the forefront.
because there's no reason why a character of this proportion should not be sung. Like, it's insane. So that is number two, The Black Count. You are doing it, girl. <laughs> <laughs> and um, number one, uh, I guess to give some historical perspective to like what's currently happening between Haiti and the DR, um, Edward Dantecat has been like this fixture in my life since Breath Eyes Me since I picked up Breath Eyes Memory mm -hmm. in junior yes. high. I mean, I <laughs> I always say for Haitian girls that book really messes up your relationship with your mom for a good couple. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. It's just like either like the immigrant narrative, and you're like, oi, <laughs> like this is too much. Um, for many years, people would tell me about the farming of bones, and I would, and I was like, you know, well, I read Kikak, and I read Breath Eyes Memory, and I read, uh, uh, you know, Claire of the Sea Light, and I don't think any book can top those. And people be like, no, <laughs> you don't understand. Yes. And I read the farming of bones, and I was just a puddle of tears. Oh, I haven't read any of these. I feel like the illiterate uh, of the group. Listen, <laughs> I'm, I'm here with you on the farm of bones. You know, I stand for Edwige. I stand for her mightily. So I just, oh my God. So basically, the story takes place in the DR. Um, this young lady who has she couldn't find work in Haiti, so she um, moves to DR to be a maid in a house, and she has this lover, Sebastian, and. He's a cane cutter, and they, they're just simple people. They just want to love each other and be married and have their own kids and whatever. But uh, Trujillo, or Trujillo, depending how, you know, what language you speak, uh, is in power in DR. And in, if you know any Hispaniola history, um, Trujillo was very, very... Uh, prejudice against Haitians. He wanted DR to be kind of like this is a Spanish state where black people or anything that resembles African history because if you look at like you know like it's like when my African friends go to Haiti and then they come back they're like oh my god you guys are like really African. So um, he was just like no we cannot have anything resembling Mama Africa <laughs> in the Dominican Republic. And um, Creole and Spanish are two very completely different languages. And so Trujillo is like, have the Haitians say parsley in Spanish, perejil, because our tongues are heavy and we cannot pronounce it the way uh, native Spanish speakers do. And that way you will know they are Haitian and then you kill them. Wow. Um, and that led to a massacre on the border that nobody ever talks about. Um, but that really has cemented a lot of like, not just racial tension, but hatred between, well, I guess hatred, hatred on the Dominican part and sometimes just indifference on the Haitian side because uh, when something doesn't get talked about for so long, it kind of feels like a ghost story. Um, so Amabel's story, her love story with Sebastien takes place during that. And during the upheaval of the massacre, she loses contact with him. And she ends up in Haiti. 
and she ends up with his family, and it's kind of, it, what, what breaks your heart in the book is just her longing for him, day after day, and week after week, and month after month, in mm -hmm. the face of this tragedy, like, she keeps the hope alive that one day they will be reunited. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to say whether it happens or not, but the thing that really breaks your heart is that um, just it, it's, it's just the way Edwige tells, just so classically, like just the, the killings and then the life on the border. And it's, it's a couple of years ago I saw this film and it's called The Lark Farm. Mm -hmm. Very beautiful film. I, I believe it's Italian. And it talks about the Armenian genocide. And it's just such a beautiful, beautiful film. And the whole time I was reading The Farming of Bones, I was thinking about the Lark Farm and the Armenian genocide. And I was it, it just really kind of gnaws at you like these stories, these bloodbaths have happened and no one has ever spoken about them. Mm -hmm. And not just on just a general historical academic way, but what are the stories of these people, of families torn apart, of wives missing husbands and husbands missing wives and children growing up orphaned, and people becoming stateless? And then in the face of all of that, you have governments telling you, well, this never happened. <laughs> because the thing with the Parsley Massacre is, and that's what it's known as, you have academics who will go to bat for Haiti and then be like, well, we have no physical evidence that the Parsley Massacre happened. So I'm like, well, what the fuck did these stories come from? Like, we didn't pull them. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and so it, it's, it's, um, it's just really one of those stories where it's, I don't think I will ever read that book again. <laughs> no. Because I have that's, that's the number is done on me, but it's a book that I believe everyone should read at least once. And hats off to Edwige for writing about it because, you know, I love Haitian writers and I love what they're able to do in, um, in telling stories of different dictatorships and, you know, economic hardships, especially after the earthquake, all these great stories that were coming out. But it is so ridiculous that she is the only one who has taken the Parsi massacre and made it into a story that should be well known and that should be embraced not just by Americans and other Westerners but by Islanders and other Latin Americans. So, yeah, that's that is my number one. <laughs> Those are my books. Wow, you've just upgraded my TBR because I had some nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> Those all sound like really good, big, rich, full picks for the cold winter, cold weather month, <laughs> and I'm super excited um, to read all of those. Yeah, I mean, I did have one honorable mention, and I'm pretty sure you guys have read it. Mm -hmm. um, but the Red Tent by Anita Diamant. Mm -hmm. I like that book is amazing. Like. I was just thinking last night, I was like, Lifetime did a shitty-ass job trying to put that book <laughs> into screen. Like, it is just such a feminist text. Yeah. And the nuances, like, with the, you know, like, the few racial groups that you find in the book is amazing. And 
it is so poetically written. So if you know people have not read that book, go pick it up immediately because I'm about to pick it up again. <laughs> I have not read it. What's wrong with me? Like I feel like I'm just missing this whole other <laughs> world of books right now. But I'm gonna get on. I'm about to catch up. No, I mean it's, no, it's really an amazing book because Anita is. What's fascinating about her is she she's a Jew she's a Jewish American woman, mm-hmm. a white woman, um, and she picks Dina's story from the Old Testament and breathes this life into it. So this is a woman who has like not even a verse mm-hmm. in the Old Testament, and she gives her life. Because what does the Bible tell you? The Bible tells you that Dina was raped and her brothers avenged her, you know, her rape, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And Dina in the book, like, nah, girl, that is not what happened. Okay. These, these men were telling my story, and that is not <laughs> what happened. And so that becomes a bigger narrative, right, of how many historical women do we love? And we're like, yeah, that's my hero. But it's always been men telling their stories. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, true. And Ooh. and the same and the second honorable mention I quickly have is um Sally Hemings, a novel by Barbara Chase. I feel like if anyone is ever into that whole who Sally was, yeah. And before you read the Hemings of Monticello, which is an amazing book in itself, do yourself a favor and pick up that novel. And I think that's one of the reasons why when people talk about Thomas and Sally on social media, I really try not to get involved because mm-hmm. I'm like, you guys are missing such a very heavily nuanced historical narrative okay. by mm-hmm. placing a slave relationship in 21st century romantic terms. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, do your history on the Hemingses and what Sally was actually a product of and act- her racial categorization before y'all paint her as a nappy-headed black woman. Oop. Oh. Tell the people. Tell the folks. Bloop and bloop. Hey. Nah, it's just so crazy to me, right? Because mm-hmm. you'll, you'll look at art, right? Mm-hmm. And it'll be like Thomas. And, and, you know, people will hate me for saying this, but I really... Thomas Jefferson is probably one of the best writers in American history. Right like, on. You, if you read his, like, he had this letter that he wrote to this white woman he was in love with during the time he was sleeping with Sally, he, or raping Sally, however you want to put it, in Paris, uh, my head and my heart. Great body of work. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, I, I guess Sally would be Halle Berry's daughter. Like, the right. same, mm-hmm. the same blood, blood, Negro, whatever ratio. Mm-hmm. Like, Sally grew up in the house with her mother, who was a biracial woman, who was slave mistress mm-hmm. to the master, who was a daughter herself of an African woman and a sailor, a sailor whom tried to buy her and her mother and was stopped by the state of Virginia because mm. he wanted to buy them and free them and live openly with them. Mm. Right? And so... You have Sally then, who moves to Monticello. Her sister marries Thomas Jefferson, practically dies giving this man kids. Wow. Right? So mm-hmm. then, so, and then Sally goes to Paris, where her brother was living with Thomas at the time as a free man of color, 
this is the other thing people don't remember. Sally was free in Paris. Mm -hmm. And Thomas Jefferson had a post as, I believe, um, uh, not a diplomat, but an ambassador. Ambassador, yeah. To France. Mm -hmm. And the person who was supposed to accompany Polly, Tom's daughter, was, they were like, no, she can't go. She's pregnant. So send Sally. So Sally goes to Paris and lives free and learned and, po and possibly learned French and comes back pregnant. And if you uh, believe oral history, she comes back to Virginia because she and Tom and her brother believed their coming back to America was temporary and they were going to go back to Paris and live. Mm. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. So when people go on like that, oh my God, and Sally was just, nigga, we don't know. <laughs> say, it. say it, say it, make it plain. <laughs> we don't know. Not only has Val come through with the book wrecks for y'all, but she is also giving y'all history. Like <laughs> loads of history. Now I, okay. I, I've, I've, it's always been my dream. Like one day I would just quit my job and just write history books and be like, no, 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 well, actually. Well, actually, an anthology. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, yeah, it's always been one of those stories that fascinates me, and, and I always tell people, pick up that novel, because Bar Barbara Chase did a fantastic job mm -hmm. being more nuanced than I think I could ever be. It's like, get off your high horses and see what people were for that time period and stop putting your academic jargon on um, something we did not live through. We are the right. product of, but we did not live through. Right. So. Well, outrage is way more fun. Outrage is always smooth. <laughs> I would like to, first of all, thank you so much for kicking off what we hope is um, a reoccurring segment. I don't know who's going to go up after you. <laughs> I wouldn't want it to be me. Y'all, don't be intimidated. <laughs> don't be intimidated. It's like, it's like a, a, a circle. This you is know, awesome. You know, reality TV, they're like, you're part of the circle. You are part of the circle. You're in the circle. But it's very, um, I think, important for, I, I'm glad that we decided to do this, and I'm glad you decided to join us, because I think it's really important that people hear from multiple perspectives and different types of readers Um uh, people who read different types of books. A lot of these books that, I mean, hell, all of the books that you mentioned, I had not read and only had heard of um, two of them. So, you know, as much as I, you know, fancy myself to be a reader, there's, you know, a gajillion books in the world. And so we want to hear from various types of readers. And so I'm going to um, invite if you are interested in doing a, sim a similar segment or joining us for this segment, just simply email us at Better Than The Movie. Um, or, you know, we'll do like we did Val and just come after you. <laughs> <laughs> but you can email us at betterthanthemovie at gmail.com and um, let us know that you are interested in coming on the show and we would be super excited to have you. And I cannot, again, thank you enough for this awesome, awesome segment. It's probably the best segment we've had in a long time. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, thank you for having me. You guys know I love the show. I have heard every single episode. Thanks. And I, this is just an amazing platform for black women who love books and who just love storytelling. So keep doing it. I'll keep listening. And let me know when you want the other five. <laughs> oh. I don't know. Might be sooner than you think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
you definitely got me excited about picking up books again because I have been in one hell of a slump. So thanks again, and um, yeah, come back and see us. Of course. All right. Thanks again, love. No problem. Bye, ladies. Bye-bye. That's it. That's us. We thank you guys for listening, and we will see you at the crossroad. No, next week. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye. Bye.